You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review. This is Daniel Horowitz providing you with what is becoming pretty much your only respite from the false dichotomy, false choices, false information that is put out from other conservative media, much less the liberal media. And boy, are we seeing that this week with so many issues for conservatives to care about. The leadership elections, jailbreak, the border invasion. Literally, illegals climbing the border fence and evidently, I guess, we're letting them in. You know, I'm always criticized for being too negative. And I spent really a month or two praising the Trump administration, a lot of its immigration decisions, several other things. And I've come to regret it every time I try to be positive. I mean, it's it's all a fake, fake pass. Why? Because as we keep coming back to the same theme, and I can't get off of it because it's really the antecedent to all of our problems, we don't have a conservative media and a conservative movement that believes in anything, that knows anything, and that's focused. This whole thing of whether Trump's doing a good job or not, are you a conservative who likes Trump or doesn't, is a false choice. Because what Trump is and isn't is kind of undefined. See, Trump is a compilation of multiple conflicting views and emotions and impulses at any given time, as well as a bunch of conflicting people in the administration at any given time. Whether they're people that were held over, whether they're idiots that he brought on, you know, people like James Mattis that despite his military career, I mean, don't let that fool you. He is not a conservative. He doesn't share our worldview. And we need a conservative media and a conservative think tank world and a conservative activist world to actually give close air support to our allies. And yet we don't. So where do we start? There's so much to say, but like I said, really nothing has changed because it all stems from the same the the, the, the same critical fatal flaw that we have in our movement. So let's start with the leadership elections. Now, as of this recording, it's obviously early Wednesday afternoon. And you know, we're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens in the House, but we know what's going to happen. The Senate already had their elections. Mitch McConnell was renominated or reelected as majority leader. John Corden as whip. John Thune as conference chair. And, you know, everyone down, you know, number four or five, six positions, that it, it doesn't matter, a hill of beans. So then we now have... In the House, obviously, McCarthy is going to win because we've spent months talking about Jim Jordan running and nobody nobody talks about it. So there you go. Steve Scalise will be minority whip. 
And now the big, oh, the big um, change is Kathy McMorris Rogers resigned from being conference chair of the number three position. So now in the House, Liz Cheney from Wyoming, I think she's going to win pretty much by acclamation. I don't think anyone's challenging her. Now, Liz Cheney is establishment hack. Um, she's up. She's like, she's basically like Lindsey Graham on foreign policy without the flair. Actually, more like Kelly Ayotte. See, Lindsey, at least where I agree with him, like on Iran, he's tough. She's like just feckless. I mean, she might agree with us on the issue, but kind of like Kelly Ayotte. Meaning on the scale from Ron Paul to Neocon, where we've forged the true Reagan conservative view, which is neither of the two. She is, um, you know, full bore Kelly Ayotte, John McCain. And on domestic issues, forget it. There's nothing doing there. Now, people have asked me about the vice chair, the policy chair, you know, the, the number four or five, six positions. I, dude, it, do, it doesn't matter. I know some quasi-conservatives are running for those. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When I was younger, I used to be more obsessed with those positions, and I have come to learn it really doesn't matter. Other than whoever gets into that position with McCarthy and Scalise at the top, they'll just become part of the problem. Rather than them changing leadership, they'll get changed by it. So there's that. But here's, here's the real problem, and, and it's, again, this is the source of everything we're going to talk about today, everything we're going to continue talking about. I saw an interesting um, morning consult poll where they polled Republican voters, who is your favorite Fox News host? And by far, the favorite one was Tucker, then Laura Ingram. Then Ainsley Earhart, I'd, honestly, I never heard of her. <laughs> Call me a fool, but I never heard of her because I, I just don't watch these people. Then Dana Perino, wow. Talk about a bushy there. Chris Wallace, Sean Hannity, Martha McCallum, Brett Baer. Um, and it goes on and on with Bill Hammer and all these people. And, you know, whether you like it or not, there's your influence. I mean, I can't shape the debate. We have a very smart audience here. We, um, Believe me, on certain individual policies, we are influencing and making them really scared on jailbreak. But, you know, I'm not so haughty to think that I have this power to do things alone. And um, the reality is, these are the people that could be banging away on our issues, on our elections. And believe me, if they'd be pushing for Jim Jordan... You would see a sea change of a difference and momentum. But they're focused on, on nonsense. So there you go. And what I want to mention one more point on the leadership elections. And that is folks at National Review are attacking our scorecard and saying, what are you guys saying McCarthy is a liberal? What do you mean? He has a score from the American Conservative Union in the 80s. <laughs> oh boy well the acu is the problem if you remember um they supported the gang of eight now now they'll disown it but they supported the gang of eight and they're pushing jailbreak the acu is the problem but they're missing a more fundamental point 
I don't know what what McCarthy's Liberty score is. What is it, 35 or something? But really, the score is very generous. As you've noted, and uh, maybe maybe I'll get in trouble organizationally for saying this, I'm actually against scorecards. Because the scorecards fail to capture the perfidy and betrayal. Here's what people don't understand. See, they criticize us for scoring all these budget votes and the farm bill and things like that. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, what are you going to have a government shutdown? And our point is these are the only telling votes that matter. Here's the thing. Kevin McCarthy is not some random guy. He was the existing majority leader while Republicans controlled the trifecta of government. So as such, he ensured that Republicans don't vote on anything of, me, of, of consequence. That's the whole point. Meaning, he's not just a vote. He's a voice and a strategic killer of our agenda. He should get a negative 1,000. All the bills that passed judiciary on immigration enforcement, he refused to bring them up for a vote. So we never had anything to score. They don't vote on anything. It's different than it used to be in the old days when they took votes when they had open amendments. I mean, in the Senate, you could count the number of amendment votes they had in the last two years on your hands. They don't vote on anything. It all gets rolled up in these omnibus bills, and that's all there is to score. And that's all that matters. But why? Because of Kevin McCarthy and others similar to him, McConnell, Ryan, Scalise, their failed leadership. And, and they're running not as an individual member. They're running for leadership. So their criticism is wrong. If anything, our scorecard is too generous to them. As leaders, they were utter failures. That's what they don't understand. See, scorecards would only be useful if you didn't have a perfidious party that tries to play games, obfuscate, you know, make an end run around the base, pretend like they're with them, but then sabotage them. If you had a party that really followed the president's campaign agenda and the president himself and all his advisors and cabinet members followed his campaign agenda. And it's just that you had certain wayward, wayward members that dissented from leadership to the left, then a scorecard would be useful to show which are the prob- problematic members. Here the problem is the entire Republican leadership is bad. And they don't allow votes on what we believe in. They only vote on what the Democrats believe in. Or they just vote on meaningless things. Or when they vote on good things, they only do it in one house where they know it's not going to go anywhere. And then they'll bring, bring out the budget bill that overturns that. So, I mean, you, you, you can't deal with this. When, when you understand what these people do privately... But, you know, these folks at National Review will just whistle past the graveyard. Now, it's just a Democrat's fault. We need more sheets, more Republicans. I mean, dude, the last two years should be a refutation to that. Now, now they'll hide behind Nancy Pelosi, even though the truth be told, they still have the Senate and they still have the White House. And there's no reason why you can't have a showdown with Pelosi. And like I said last week, if anything, you now have a stronger hand. Because you know, before you're fighting with yourself, you look stupid if there's a government shutdown. Here, you could totally own Pelosi in a in a in a, in a fight and totally uh, put all these um, what should be vulnerable Democrat House members in 2020 in a tough position. Have a fight over sanctuary cities and and the border invasion. 
But that's with, with leadership elections. So anyway, the news is swirling around very quickly today. Everything's happening at a rapid pace. So obviously things are going to change. I mean, nothing's going to change fundamentally, but just in terms of things being finalized. And I, I wish I had better news for you, but I don't know what to tell you. Do you want me to lie to you and, and make up things that I think are transformational for the, for the better that really aren't and you know ignore the things that we need to be aware of? I mean, you know, I, I thought as a, of as many forward-thinking, positive strategies and issues as I can, and I'm going to try to think of more. And like I told you, I'm going to be working for for more things. I'm always looking for ways to improve, but I, I can't lie here. And you know, unless something changes between the time we we, we post this at 4:30 this afternoon, Trump is going to announce his support for the jailbreak bill we spoke about on Monday. It is the most colossal betrayal of a campaign promise I've ever seen. Trump literally called for their the death penalty of drug traffickers. Now this bill retroactively releases, meaning it retroactively reduces sentencing and retroactively applies to early release good time credits for the hardened drug traffickers no meaningful exemptions and that will meaning, meaningfully exempt anyone currently in federal prison from these jailbreak provisions and um, gun felons as well. Now, one, one, one provision I just wanted to talk to you about before I forget, and that is at least the draft legislation that they're going to they're gonna introduce – just so you understand how malignant this is, that even when they're trying to make exceptions of people that aren't eligible, they do so in a way that doesn't rope in a lot of people. So this is from um, one uh, part of the bill. Quote, a second or subsequent conviction under any of the paragraphs one through six of section 2252AA relating to certain activities relating to material constituting or containing child pornography. In other words, what that means is only those who are on a second time conviction of child pornography will not get early release credits. But those who are serving their first time will. They will never admit that, but it's straight up in their bill. Again, it shows you... I, I want you to understand, don't just look at provisions of a bill very tightly. I want you to see the philosophy behind this, where this is coming from, where it's headed, and that's why it's aptly named the First Step Act because they regard this as extremely modest. They want to do a lot more than this. And by the way, when it comes to drug offenders, it's not – you know, first timers. First of all, most of them serving in federal prison aren't first time traffickers. Second of all, they're eligible for the um, safety valve under existing law to escape the mandatories. And this bill will extend the mandatories for people that have six prior convictions. And um, it's sad. It's truly sad. The president literally ran against this bill. This bill is nothing new. This bill was introduced in 2015, and most, most of its provisions 
and everything else they were talking about, and Trump opposed it. He said everything, everything I've ever written on this, Trump said. And yet, this is what happens when we don't have a conservative movement. Conservatives are getting changed by the swamp rather than changing it. The whole point was to get our guys in there to change what's going on. So you have to assert yourself. You have to call the balls and strikes. You have to say, this is what we want. This is what we don't want. This is right. This is wrong. This member of leadership is good. This one's not good. This guy's good for a cabinet position. This guy's not. This advisor's a problem. This guy's helpful. But instead, we're like, oh, forget it. We can't speak out. So now, even guys like Tucker Carlson, who agree with me on jailbreak, I doubt he's going to have the guts to speak out once Trump supports this, to say, hey, this is not your agenda, Mr. President. So then what's the point in getting, quote unquote, MAGA people in, including Trump himself, if rather than changing it, you're just going to get changed? And then therefore, it's worse than even before, because now, you know, when Obama was doing this, so then all conservatives would rebel. Whoa, what was he doing? Now it's like, oh, this is actually a smart thing to do. You know, because people don't have principles. They just look at the people and are like, oh, well, I like Trump, so therefore this must be good. But Trump himself is very malleable. Look, Democrats are fixed in the way they are. Congressional GOP leadership and all their donors and handlers and consultants and everyone else around them, they're fixed on who they are. You're not going to change them. They need to be defeated. Trump is the one opportunity, but he's an opportunity, but he's also a pitfall because he's like a nuclear bomb. If you get him on our side, it's good. But if he gets captured, then it's worse than before because now they have the biggest weapon to silence all our guns. This is what's happening. Suddenly, we support Soros. Again, WikiLeaks has shown from released documents that Soros has prioritized jailbreak in all its iterations. Front end, back end making it harder to present evidence, harder to lend convictions, electing jailbreak prosecutors. That is his number one priority, even over and beyond, over and beyond open borders. So we're going to have to watch that. And again, we have our article out from yesterday we're going to link to in show notes where I go through all the policies. We discussed a lot of it on Monday. I'm not going to reiterate most of it today. But this bill is a stink bomb. It's not even well thought out, even from their perspective. They don't want to hear what the prosecutors have to say. They don't want to hear what law enforcement has to say, except for the ones they could buy off, threaten, promise things. It's disgusting. Nobody voted for Jared Kushner. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm very respectful of the fact that Trump is you know, pretty close with his family, and that's really nice. And he doesn't have to stop doing that. But the reality is nobody ever voted for them, and he should understand it. They are liberals. They are very antithetical. They're this cosmopolitan type of swampy mentality with the elites. Oh... The criminal justice reform. And let me tell you the dishonesty, the dishonesty that is going on here. I have a letter here from National Association of Assistant U.S. Attorneys. 
on something very important. Mike Lee wrote an op-ed published by Fox News last night giving the the conservative case for criminal justice reform. And, you know, look, first, just as a baseline here, there's nothing new about it. Mike Lee has been this way for many years on this issue. He's good on almost every other issue, and I I respect him for that, and I'm going to still work together on those issues. But I just want you to know he's not, like, weak on this issue. He is the full Soros. He fundamentally, you read what he says. First of all, it's full of platitudes. You, you, you compare it to my columns where I have data on facts and all sorts of rational arguments. It's just like a bunch of platitudes. Sounds like hippie crazy stuff. If you take what he says to its logical conclusion, crime is not the problem. Incarceration is the problem, and we should abolish prisons, which is really fundamentally what he believes. He doesn't believe in any mandatories. It's not just for drug trafficking. Um, he, he believes in, in a lot more than this. And he has the nerve to start out with a quote from Ronald Reagan and nothing to do with jailbreak. It's just in general. I'm like, really? Ronald Reagan, this was his top agenda. You're dismantling his agenda of putting all the drug traffickers in jail, which it didn't stop the drugs, but that's because of the open borders because we didn't go to the source of the problem. But these were the guys doing 90% of the other crimes. And that's why we actualized a 70% drop in violent crime over the last 20 years or so. So that is, and and actually I have my phone ringing here. Sorry for the noise. I should have turned it off. That's um, folks in law enforcement calling. We're, we're talking. I'm going to have to get back to him soon. But this thing from Mike Lee is unbelievable. Do you want to know what's something funny? I saw actually from a 1981 speech of Ronald Reagan, one of his anti-crime initiatives, he actually used the word criminal justice reform. But for him, criminal justice reform meant the opposite. Too many violent people get out, escape justice, aren't caught, aren't prosecuted. And mainly he was focusing on making it easier to the admissibility of evidence, which these guys want to suppress even more. It was the exact opposite of what they're doing. But anyway, he has this anecdote of this guy, Weldon Angels. You know, they always have stories. There's always a story for everything. And that's what, like a typical liberal. I mean, he's literally like, like a liberal on this issue. And he says he was only co- convicted, quote, for seeking three dime bags of marijuana in a nonviolent crime. I have, a, I have information that there was a lot more going on with that guy, and I'm getting the specifics. But that's a classic lie because you know, as Ed Meese said, the feds don't go after these people for nothingness. And a lot of them are wrongly using Ed Meese because – Again, this is very complicated. Conservatives signed on to this years ago, this effort of going after overcriminalization of BS crimes, not letting out drug traffickers and street thugs in federal prison. That's not what it was. And you look at Ed Meese's original testimony in 2011, it was all very hyper-technical on cleaning up Title 18 of the criminal code, the duplicative provisions, um, the men's race stuff, the criminal intent stuff, all this stuff, the regulatory stuff. Nothing to do with the with jailbreak. And that's why he made that distinction. And, and when he opposed this very bill, when it was first introduced in 2015, he wrote a Hill. He wrote, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it, you can Google Ed Meese op-ed sentencing reform the hill.com and you'll find it. But they're wrongly saying he's he supports go, you know, stopping the overcriminalization 
of junk crimes, the Martha Stewart stuff. Nothing to do with this. And the irony is they're not getting that stuff in this. You know, Mike Lee one time wrote an op-ed saying, oh, we need to deal with overcrim. And I was telling his staff, I said, dude, I, I understand we're never going to see you know eye to eye on the jailbreak. But just strategically, if you tell the Democrats ahead of time that you are going, that you just maniacally, emphatically support their jailbreak agenda just as much as Soros does, it's not like a necessary evil to compromise on something else. You want it as a standalone. So they got you. Why are they going to give on the regulatory stuff? It's just stupid strategically. Usually it's like, okay, I want A but not B. You want B but not A, and we kind of compromise. But Republicans say they want the jailbreak just as much as the Democrats do. So why would the Democrats have any reason not to just take the jailbreak and not give them anything on the regulatory stuff, which is exactly what's happening? But there you go. I, I told a colleague of mine, some of you heard me say this in Steve's show, when Trump was won the nomination, the primary in 2016, I said, look, the one thing I'm really happy about is at least I could take the jailbreak issue off my portfolio. That's done with, with Trump. Wow. <laughs> Looking back on saying that, it, it is unbelievable. This is the one issue Trump was consistent on his entire life. The very people for whom he, he says should get the death penalty now is going to let them out early into home confinement, reduce sentencing, and all sorts of other very consequential stuff on the safety inside the prisons, the home confinement, this ill-defined community supervision. I mean, this stuff is literally out of Soros' playbook. And again, all designed, um, all designed to create more Democrat votes. And as, as we're talking, they're filing into the conference room and they're going to vote on all this stuff. And... Um, you know, Kevin McCarthy is pretty confident. I doubt Jim Jordan gets more than 50 votes out of 200 or whatever. But that's where it is. And, you know, I'll just tell you that this is, again, the failure of conservatives that were completely getting sucked in to the swamp. We're changing our views. We now, it's the conservative thing. Every conservative think tank, everyone is expending 100% of their time and effort now on this. Trump is doing it now. I mean, j- just from a, a standpoint, like, you, you, you have one more month left. We have a border invasion we're going to talk about in a minute. We have Democrats using the courts to steal elections, using the courts to steal everything. 25 things we can do on immigration. And you're planting your flag on criminal justice reform. Are you retarded after losing suburban voters? That that's the way to win them back? Say, no, no, we're just as passionate about letting criminals out of jails as, as Democrats are, rather than beating Democrats silly for it. What am I supposed to do with a party like this? This is why I preach for years this party is irremediably broken, because the movement gets sucked into the party, and the party gets sucked into the swamp, and that's it. There's no independence, fixed views that we're always going to fight for. So doggone frustrating. Man, is this frustrating. And, and, and they're just lying, lying about this bill, lying about the effort. Um, and uh, yeah. By the way, right now, 
Mark Meadows is nominating Jim Jordan. He's giving the nominating speech. I think it's going to be seconded by Chip Roy. Yes, it is seconded by Chip Roy and Warren Davidson. And then Mac Thornberry from Texas is nominating McCarthy. And Elise Stefanik, the millennial rhino from New York, is um, seconding the motion. And Brian Mast from Florida will also speak on his behalf. And, and that's another thing I need to tell you. And I, I know some of you are going to hate me for this. And call me a purist. I can't unsee the things I see, and I can't unhear the things I hear. And sometimes there's this persona around members of the cabinet, members of Congress that, oh, they're real tough talkers because like they have these YouTubes or these clips of them owning the media or something. But then they, they just don't share our values. And there, there's this talk about Dan Crenshaw, the Navy SEAL, newly elected congressman from Texas. And like, I, God bless his, his, ten, his service, but I'm just telling you, he's a passionate supporter of, of McCarthy and Paul Ryan. There's no evidence. I, I never saw evidence he was going to be a conservative. And there's no evidence today. And certainly if you don't pressure them, they're not going to be that way. If you just assume it and don't fight for it, very few will be that way. I mean, Ron Wright is another new guy from Texas. I think he's going to be with Chip Roy. I don't know about the others. From what I'm hearing, there's anywhere from four to 10 new Freedom Caucus members. It's not a lot, especially if it's closer to four, because remember, we lost four, at least four. Brat and Blum got defeated, and then um, De- DeSantis and Labrador you know, vacated their seats to run for higher office. Fortunately, Labrador lost his primary for Idaho governor. Um, so now we got rhinos there, rhinos everywhere. But that's the thing. The progressives fight for every nook and cranny of every agency, of every office, of every policy. Our side just gets drunk on stupidity. That's where we are as a movement. So we'll have more on the jailbreak stuff, more on the leadership elections. But then, then it gets worse than that. So now... What were we saying earlier this week? We said that, you know, conservatives aren't focusing on the important policies and they're obsessed with Jim Acosta. Because if that's that that's a hundred percent of their focus is Jim Acosta. Now, this might sound like I'm criticizing some colleagues, take it for what it is. But so Jim Acosta, CNN, they file a lawsuit against the White House for not granting him press credentials. And everyone's like, How, is, this, is this for real? Could you do that? How do you get standing? Um, that's crazy to say that you have an unalienable right to access the White House. Like, what? Why, why can't I access? And, and look, they're right. I'm not agreeing with them. But you idiots. Like, don't you realize the courts are doing this? They're stealing elections when states have full control over the electoral process. Courts are vitiating state law and validating invalid ballots to give Democrats the win in every close election. They've been doing so for a while. Do you realize that the same courts aren't just entertaining, but have downright ruled in favor of allowing 7 billion people to have a right to break into our national private property and drop a baby and, and, and force citizenship on Americans? Are you not bothered by that? Are you not bothered? Like, yeah. This is what happens with judicial supremacy. All, a lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of them are the same people that support judicial supremacy. Like, well, what do you want? Once you say 
that any single district judge is more powerful than the House, the Senate, and the White House put together and, and all 50 state legislatures and governors. And if that judge says something, so shall be ordered. There's nothing a judge can do. So, yeah, it's actually, I mean, while I disagree with it, it's a lot more radical to say and more consequential, certainly in terms of the character of our, our nation, to say that people have the right to immigrate than to say one clown has a right to get a press pass to the White House. But we don't see a movement. Hey, look, if it's going to take Jim Acosta to get our friends serious about judicial supremacy, hey, I'm all for it. But you know what's funny? Guess who joined in the lawsuit? Fox Porn News. So the funny thing is, even though Fox is always champion Republicans, even rhinos, but they'll sandbag Republicans. They'll promote anchor baby jurisprudence. They'll sandbag. They'll only agree with Trump when he's liberal, like on jailbreak. But on the anchor babies, oh, and by the way, where is that executive order Trump talked about? Why is he doing jailbreak before dealing with anchor babies? But whatever. But anyway, remember Fox News. Remember Fox News refused to run that ad? The one good ad Republicans had that if they would have ran that in all states for six months, they would have won this election on that criminal alien, you know, saying how he was happy he killed the cops and wish he could have killed more. And they refused to run it. These are the people we elevate to control the conservative movement. This is an Orwellian, subversive, Muslim Brotherhood-style movement from head to toe. I'm sorry, the more other people run away from this, the more I'm just going to double down on speaking the truth. I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. I don't care if I have no friends left. God bless Mike Lee for other stuff he's done, but you know what? When has Mike Lee been this effective on something conservative as he is on this liberal? Really? I mean, like, this this is the issue you're going to deal with now. Disgraceful. In utter disgrace. By the way, before we continue on this judicial supremacy and, and the, what's going on in Florida and Georgia, I want to focus on one other thing. Mira Ricardo was Bolton's deputy national security director at the NSC. Number two person behind Bolton. She was just fired by Melania Trump. I guess now the first ladies are like, you know, now now they have power. What is it with Republican first ladies? They always have to have their liberal pet projects. Every one of them was always problematic. But anyway, you you might have heard that in the news yesterday. Mira Ricardo was awesome. Remember when Jordan Schachtel, our national security correspondent, broke the news and really had a lot of influence on exposing Mattis and others and Tillerson trying to appoint all they weren't even rhinos. They were Democrats to a bunch of foreign policy, national defense portfolios. It was Mira who was instrumental in, in stopping it and stopping them. She was good on the issues. She butted heads with Mattis and and Kelly who I warned you about from day one were problems. And that's it. Now she's gone. John Bolton is losing a lot of his power. He's being marginalized. 
And this is what happens. This is why we, it, it happens in the executive branch. It happens in Congress. This is why we never change anything. Because it takes a critical mass to drain the swamp. What happens is if you go there, one of three things happens. Either you get sucked in right away and you become part of it. You butt heads with it, but there's not a critical mass joining you because the conservative media is not giving you air cover and making a hero out of you. We're making a hero out of stupid people like Lindsey Graham instead. And therefore, you get killed and defeated and kicked out. Or the middle ground is Stephen Miller, where God bless him, but you know, everyone asks me, well, isn't Stephen Miller there? Like, doesn't he oppose amnesty? Doesn't he oppose jailbreak? And the answer, and again, this is a little bit of conjecture based on what I'm observing. I, I think the answer is he's in survival mode. He, he is a force for good, um, and he will advocate for what's right. But once he reach, sees that there's a critical mass against us, he's not going to lay down on the tracks and he'll just stand down. He, he doesn't want to ha- get boltoned. doesn't want to... Have that happened to him, like what happened to uh, to Bannon and Gorka. So that's what happens here. And it's the same thing with congressional leadership. If you don't have a critical mass, you just get these guys in and one after another, they get bought off. All these new members that run with pomp and, oh, oh I'm going to shake things up. And then the first day they get in there, they just suck up to Kevin McCarthy. Because we don't have a critical mass of a movement. You know, it's like it's like someone in quicksand. You need someone standing outside of it independently to hold their arms, to hold them up. We don't have that. So that's what's happening with that. And just one word on 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 um on what's his name? On uh Mattis. You know, Mattis he has all these quotes like Shut up, media. Or like, you know, he gave a speech today telling the troops, there's a lot of garbage going on. You just focus on what your battalion commander says. And I'm not making fun out of it. He's good. He's a good soldier. He's a good general. He's not a good civilian leader. He's not good on policy. He doesn't support what we support. And that's why our founders wanted civilian control. You give the policy orders and then he'll fulfill it and he'll be good at it. But he's not conservative. And by the way, in that same quote, he was telling them, yeah, you've, you know, he was speaking to them at the southern border. And he said, you're just here to give um, confidence to DHS. So that confirms. See, I spent a whole I had a whole article defending Trump on deploying troops. Now it turns out they're doing nothing. So you have these illegals. The first wave of the caravan is now here. They're climbing the fence. Oh, cl- belligerently climbing a fence. Some of them holding Flags of their home countries. Oh, that's real asylum seeking, real downtrodden there. But yet the Trump administration has agreed to the premise that we don't have sovereignty, that they could assert and we have to respond. They are being processed. I was on record as saying there's it's the end of Trump's presidency if he doesn't get rid of the caravan. There's no way he's going to let them in. But I said my bigger concern is the caravan we have every day, the hundreds of thousands that come quietly. It turns out, just like the last caravan, this one's now at Tijuana. It's at the San Diego ports, um, the El Chaparral port. Uh, Mex- Mexican officials say 90 people will be allowed to make asylum claims today. 370 more members of the caravan arrived at Tijuana this morning. 
We'll keep you updated on that. But can you imagine, rather than fulfilling that promise, I guess the left was right. It was an election stunt of Trump. I defended it, uh, him up and down, but what happened now, Mr. Trump? Now, on, on other news, you know, there's talk about DHS Secretary Nielsen getting forced out. That would be good news. Um, if you want to know who should be picked, I, I think Homan. Homan is a patriot. Homan's, Homan's a good guy. Um, I sp- spoke to border officials, and they, they think that would be a good choice. Homan's the man, which means he probably won't get picked. But um, I, I don't know. I'm asking your advice. I don't know. How do you get a movement to focus on, on what, what needs to be focused on? By the way, they're voting now. I'm so proud of him. <laughs> Thomas Massey just took a uh, picture on his phone of his vote of his of the slip in conference. You know, it's not an official floor vote. It's a conference. It's a party position in conference in a in a private room. He took a picture of it showing his vote for Jim Jordan. Good for good for you, Massey. We should have him back on the show. Just commiserate together. Um, maybe we'll have him on this week. <laughs> Um, there are 209 Republicans voting for minority leader. Huh. Look at how stupid this is. Republicans in uncalled races, which whether you like it or not, almost all of them are going to lose in the end, are voting. A lot of them are rhinos, by the way. This is what's so stupid about Kevin McCarthy moving up the conference elections before um, Thanksgiving just from a logistical standpoint, you don't even know the, the, the members of the next Congress yet because of the close races and the shenanigans in the courts. But it's all political and ensured that we could never mobilize. Frankly, even if we would have had three months to drag this out, we wouldn't have mobilized. But uh, here we are. Here we are. I, I genuinely think that God has a plan for this world. I don't know what the end is. Maybe it has to get worse before it gets better. I don't know. But for whatever reason, I think whether you want to call it divine providence or divine judgment, this dumbest, most feckless, aimless, perfidious people on earth were placed in the American conservative movement to do this for a living, while most of you have real jobs for a living. And that's the thing. Look, I readily admit I never really had a real job in my life. You know, I never worked in the in the private sector. I mean, it's I work for a private conservative media company officially, but you know, it's not government. But you know, you know what I mean. I mean, I would never worked in you know business and running a business, working for a business. Um, I mean, not not in a significant way. So I figured if I'm going to do this, I'm actually going to learn the policies, learn the strategies, learn the legislative process, learn the electoral process, have a vision. It's not that hard. The more people do it, the better. Frankly, I wish I had more competition in my space. I'd relish that. I don't because no one focuses on this. But it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what is happening at our border. And yet, jailbreak. 
And again, the two issues tie together because when you're talking about federal drug traffickers, the 800-pound gorilla in the room are criminal aliens on the border in sanctuary cities. So deal with that first and then come back to me if we have too many people serving time in federal prison for drug trafficking charges. Under my agenda, there's no way these people would be in the country in the first place. And then again, even the Americans who get roped into the trafficking, it's secondary because of the primary traffickers who are criminal aliens. Jeez. Anyway, as we're talking, Scalise was elected unanimously as whip. I mean, no one challenged him. Here we go. McCarthy wins. 159 to 43, I called it. I guess it could have been worse. 43, that's it. That is it. And there it is. I'm I'm just firing off some emails. What a disgrace. McCarthy wins. I'm just (laughs) sorry for the multitasking here. I mean, this is just such a just such a fluid day. And and there you go. By the way, I wonder how many people are going to stand down from even talking about the Acosta lawsuit now that Fox got involved. Well, you can't. I wouldn't want to be banned from Fox, would I? Bunch of pathetic people. People would sell out their mother for, for a Fox News appearance. Nobody believes in anything anymore. Maybe I should just stop caring. Just nonstop. Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. Before I lose my my mind here, wanted to get to the final issue, and that is the courts now not only control the outcome of every election, meaning the policy issues, they have the final say, but they actually determine who wins anyway. You know why even have elections? Let's just have the judges vote. See, Democrats learn that if you control the process of elections, you control the outcome of elections. And they now, you know, in the states they control, they have all sorts of shenanigans written into law. Okay, fine. But even the states where they don't, they get the courts to mandate that they count their stuff. So what you see happening here in Georgia, in Florida, with extending deadlines of recounts, mandating that they count this sort of provisional ballot – there are state laws that govern the process, right? You know, you need a process for any election. How long? What are the procedures? What type of ballot? What happens if this happens, if the ballot's not clear? I mean, stuff happens no matter what, even in the best-run system. And you have to have laws in place to deal with that. Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution gives states the full power over the qualification of the electors. And that includes the electors, like the people designated for voting on the Electoral College for president. And that includes also, as was clear by the founders and the congressional debates at the time and the time of different statutes passed in the 1800s, that it included the the citizenry, the you know, qualification, you know. What type of qualification, what type of residency you need, um, that is all there. 
Article 1, Section 4 gives states control over the time, methods, and procedures of elections. And it allows Congress, not the federal courts, to get involved in that. Now, if you read Hamilton and Madison, it's clear that that clause was only there under extenuating circumstances. It was basically just designed that states cannot abolish the you know election day and just you know because they were scared they you know especially early on in history you know if you leave it a hundred percent if Congress doesn't have any angle to get involved then they could just abolish Congress by abolishing elections and refuse to elect anyone. That is all it was. Congress sets a date for the election for federal office. And in terms of absentee ballots, the procedures, all this stuff, that is all left to the states. Now, fundamentally, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment did not change any of that. It just ensured that states could not stop blacks, black citizens from voting. That's all it was. Nothing more, nothing less. I'll have a piece on, on, on this tomorrow. But um, Clarence Thomas says in, in um, Arizona v. the Inner Tri- Tribal Council of Arizona, it was this case where the Supreme Court ruled that it was a certain way that the states were requiring proof of citizenship in Arizona to vote, and they said they can't do it. And Thomas dissented, and he said it was well understood that congressional power to regulate the manner of elections under Article 1, Section 4, did not include the power to override state voter qualifications under Article 1, Section 2. So the qualification for what type of voter, you know, your birth date isn't good, doesn't match up, your info doesn't match up, and that's what the the federal judge in Georgia mandated counted. And again, this doesn't happen accidentally. It's not like someone happened to come in. They're organized. They're harvested. The, the the Democrats will come. They'll pick up your absentee ballot. They'll they'll drive you to the polls, and they'll find people that aren't eligible, and they'll grow this pot of provisional ballots that they know if it's close enough, they'll just get federal judges to count, not pursuant to law. You have the Palm the federal judge saying Palm Beach County gets to extend its recount. This is happening all over the place. We've lost the notion that states control this. And you know what's funny? The one thing that is is given to the feds, they allow the states to violate. You know how I always say what's a federal power they give to the states? What's a state power they give to the feds? So what's funny is the one thing they can do is have an election date. And that date is the first Tuesday in November or the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. Meaning I guess if... Tuesday is November 1st, then it would be the following week. That law, the current law was passed for presidential elections in like 1845, for House elections in 1872, and then once the people started voting on senators, it was the 17th Amendment in the next century. And both Article 1, Section 2, the main clause of Article 1, Section 4, and the text of the 17th Amendment make it very clear that states have the full control over it, except for the date of choosing for federal elections. 
And I'm here to tell you early voting, if you have all this voting where they're now picking up ballots afterwards, they have a month before, they clearly meant that one day and one day only should be election day. You'll never hear this anywhere else, but let me read you from the congressional record. In 1871, when they were talking about the statute, you know, that the latest update to when they were going to have federal elections, Representative Benjamin Butler, a Republican from Massachusetts, spoke on the House floor about the need for a uniform voting day because otherwise, quote, we may have a canvas going on all over the union at different times, and it would, quote, give an undue advantage to different political parties. How prescient was that? They clearly wanted a uniform day. Constitution gives a uniform day. And like I said, it actually says blatantly uniform day for the electors of the of the electoral college. And the founders were clear that that applied to those voting for the electors too. It would be on the same day. I mean, it's, it's a very big stretch to say, you know, well, it's the last day. The last day is the same, or we're counting it on the same. Well, now we're not even counting it on the same day. So it's very hard to say you're fulfilling the law. I I have real questions about it, but again, true constitutional questions don't get adjudicated, and bogus ones do. Senator Alan Thurman, Democrat from Ohio, said during the debate, quote, I think as a general principle, it is best to have our elections on the same day whenever we can. We provided long ago by law that the election of electors, a president and vice president, should take place on the same day throughout the United States, and for the same reason, we may well provide that the election of member of Congress shall take place on the same day. Whenever you provide that election shall take place upon the same day, you do interpose a not not inconsiderable check to frauds in elections, to double-cat voting, to the transmission of voters from one state to another, and you do allow the people to vote for the representatives undisturbed by considerations which they ought not to take at all into account. That last point is exactly what happens when you have the polling, how many already voted, oh, this candidate's winning, it creates momentum for them, all this stuff where we essentially know who voted already. To have a protracted, anyone understand this in any fairness of rendering a verdict, you have a protracted debate, but the the vote is never protracted. You, boom, you have it right away on the spot, done. You don't have the actual vote being dragged out and A, prone to corruption and B, influenced. And you could, and that was before you had the modern communications. Now, you know everything about early voting. I just felt you guys should hear that. This is the type of stuff, again, you're only going to hear, hear here at the, at the conservative conscience. But anyway, so states are violating that with early voting. And not only aren't courts stopping that, they're mandating they must have early voting because, of course, the job of courts is to mandate that you're not allowed to abide by the Constitution. But then what is given over to states, determining the parameters of of provisional ballots, determining the parameters of who's eligible, what type of vote, what time, what type of absentee ballot under what, you um, you know, under what circumstances, it's all left to the states. And again, the civil rights era stuff, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the motor voter laws, there's problems with them. They should be updated. But fundamentally, 
you have to read them narrowly. You don't, and, and Thomas has always said this, you can't undermine the Constitution. Okay, anything aside, you know, if you have a literacy test against blacks, so obviously it's a problem. But to add in other things, oh, showing photo IDs like a literacy test, that violates this. Oh, you're not, not allowing all the sorts of voter anomalies and not allowing third-party organizations to harvest ballots. Oh, that's, no. You know, of all people, you know who's been uh, good on this? Marco Rubio. <laughs> Got to give him credit. You know, he's been, he's been going nuts. And he said, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he said, um, you know, imagine a team is losing. They're down two points and they're coming from behind. And the final seconds, they kick a field goal. So they're down 28-26, kick a field goal. They should win 29-28. And then afterwards, the losing team gets the officials to retroactively say, no, a field goal only counts as one point. So we won. That's what they're doing, folks. They get the courts a sometimes prospectively to change them, but not, but now even retrospectively to change the standard. Vitiate state laws when nothing in federal law or the Constitution stop them from having these laws. And they're actually good laws. They need more of them. Nothing matters until judicial supremacy is dealt with. I want you to understand the power of one federal judge. Think about one senator, one House member. They have, right, they have zero, literally zero power. They can't unilaterally do anything. Right? Can't unilaterally do a doggone thing. Forget about just an individual member. What about an entire majority? I'm here to tell you that a single district judge has more power than the majority vote of the House, Senate, and President. Because think about it. We are told that a federal judge could unilaterally grant standing to anyone and no one will question it. Rule on anything, anything. It could be divorced from our history, tradition, case law, constitution, statute, the social contract, whatever it is. It's the law of the land. Until unless it's overturned but if it's not overturned then it's law of the land and if if and and if you certainly the supreme court there's nothing beyond it we're told yeah you could have 100 senators vote to pass something 435 members of the house vote to pass something the president signing into law you could even have that law be in practice for 200 years but 200 years later a single district judge could nullify it that's what we are told. I don't know what to tell you. You, 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 have a, you could bring a lawsuit on election law. But if judges are going to render rulings that broadly affect the outcome of elections, that is not IBM v. Microsoft. That's not Daniel Horowitz v. his neighbor having some sort of dispute under the law on property rights and damages. And I accuse him of damaging my car. I mean, this does, didn't happen. I'm just saying as an example. That's what a court is for. But if a court, based on a decision, wants to say, you must now, we're overturning photo ID, we're overturning ballot harvesting, we're overturning non-citizens voting. Well, you, you, you can't do that. I mean, you, you could 
do that, but the other branches of government in the states aren't expected to blindly follow that. And, and, and that's what it is. So, um, anyway, I, I just, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Other than to say, I don't understand how any Republican cannot care about this. But we only care about Jim Acosta's lawsuit. How about losing governorships and senators and House seats when you have duly passed laws that are backed by the most foundational principles of the Constitution giving this authority to states? And and we're told any random judge could just nullify it. And I'm going to tell you, all this garbage, and a lot of this started in the Warren era, Baker v. Carr in 1962, where the court started getting involved in state election law, You basically using the Civil Rights Act as a way, it was just one extraordinary, um, one, one, one extraordinary circumstance of getting involved that most certainly did you know didn't apply beyond that and they're basically using that to just codify a democrat majority they're basically saying democrats win now because they're saying that the voters that primarily vote democrat are covered by the VRA civil rights act even the um 14th and 15th amendments Heck, they'll throw in the First Amendment um, for good measure. And that's it. So, um, there we go. There we go. By the way, I just got a little distracted. Um, You know, I I open up to you guys, and I, I have no problem sharing my personal weaknesses and flaws. Um, you know, I'm reading right now. I, I don't always see people who tag me in Twitter. I sometimes do. I sometimes don't. I mean, I just, I, I don't, you know, I can't check it every second. And and look, feel free to tweet at me. But there's this one utter a-hole that he has 3.4 followers, so I'm not going to dignify him with a response. But he's been telling me, I'm sick of the whining, Daniel. Show me solutions. Here's a man, say what you want about me. There's literally no other human being who has been more thorough. I I don't just whine. I'm more thorough in my critique, but then also more thorough in solutions. 25 solutions to healthcare, 25 solutions to immigration. You know, nobody else has done this. And the schmuck just, I mean, I shouldn't care about one person. I usually don't, but it just like really took me aback. I I was watching it as I was talking here. Just sorry, I'm very distracted today. What what do you want me to do? I don't have any good things to lie about today. What should I tell you? We need to be armed. We'll we'll do our best to, to concoct solutions, but it takes a village. One person can't do this. I'll tell you who can do it. The Fox lineup can do it. They won't do it. Therein lies the enigma. The people who have the power to do it won't do it. 
Because again, they're sucked in. Rather than changing the swamp, they get changed by it. I'm going to try to have guests on, you know, rather than just me just depress you guys. But I, I still hope you guys find this informative because, I, again, this is information, whether it's current law, historical law, constitutional stuff. You're not going to hear it anywhere else. And we'll have other people on to try to shed some light, work together. I want to have Chip Roy on. I want to have Thomas Massey on. Maybe we'll get Andy Biggs on again. See what they're up to. See what ideas they have. Call the White House and say, Trump, you are betraying us in the most spectacular fashion on jailbreak. Fulfill your, prob- your promise on the border wall, on sanctuary cities, on asylum, and on birthright citizenship for illegals before you start letting out the drug traffickers that really are a result of illegal immigration. Thank you for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.